Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. This morning, uh, we are we're kicking off a new series. We just ended a series on the problem of God. We're starting a new series in the book of Colossians, going through the letter that Paul wrote to the people of Colossae. And we're diving into that today. It's entitled, All You Need. For the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what Paul wrote in this letter. When, he, when Paul wrote this letter to the people in, in, Coloss- in, in Colossae, he actually had never met them. He was, he was in prison when he was writing to them. And he was, he was hearing amazing things about the church, but he was also hearing some things that were concerning to him. He heard about some confusion that was happening in the church, and he wanted to write to it. See, he, while he was in prison, he sent this man named Epaphras to, to Colossae because he was near, he was from near there, and he ministered, and he's the one who planted the church, established the church, and ministry began to happen. But as, as the church began to grow, there were some in the church that began to cause others in the church to feel like they were less than Christians than those who were above them. They began to tell them, you don't have it all together, you, you, you're kind of messed up, you you don't know the secret things that we know. You don't know the hidden mysteries that we know. You don't have the higher knowledge that we have. And there began to grow in this church some confusion. And they didn't, they were telling them, you don't have what it takes, really, to, to know Jesus. You don't have what we have. You're, you're not good enough. You're not wise enough. You're not as well off in the faith as we are. And so there was some of this issue. I, I wonder, have you ever felt like you didn't measure up as a Christian? Have you ever felt like, I just, I fall short, and I just, I'm not a good Christian. I don't, I don't have what it takes. I'm not smart enough. I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't pray enough. Have you ever felt, ever felt that way? You just, man, I just, I, I can't measure up. I, I just don't quite get it. If I had that right gifting, maybe if I had, if I could sing like Pastor Tracy, maybe I would be a better Christian. I would like to worship more. Maybe if I could teach, maybe if I could preach, then that would be, that would be better for me. I just don't have the right things. I don't come from the right background. I don't, you know, if you knew my family, if you knew my past, maybe if I didn't have all those hangups in the past, I could be a better Christian, but I just continue to have those issues. It's something that we face. Maybe it's actually something that someone spoke over you. Maybe it's even the thoughts you have about yourself that, that limit you, that diminish how you think you're doing in, the, in your walk with Jesus. Isn't it strange that how people's words over us can put limitations on us? Isn't that weird? Growing up in the valley, I was, I was uh, diagnosed with asthma as a, at a real young age. There was a few times I had to go to the hospital and get breathing treatments and stuff. So I had that with me all the time. And uh, as an elementary student, you begin to learn that you have that, and you kind of milk it. Because the first time that I was in PE in elementary school, my teacher of PE came up to me, and I didn't realize the limitations. And so she came up to me and said, Josh, now you have asthma. So we're going to be running. We're going to try to do the mile. Is that in elementary school? I don't know how long we had to run in the mile. I don't know if that was in elementary school. But we had to run. Okay, and that's all I remember. And, uh, but she said, now, if you begin to feel faint, just, just take it easy and just walk or, or uh, just come back in and you don't have to run. Well, you tell that to a little chubby white kid, and this is what's going to happen. I'm going to run the first lap, and I seriously pretend fainted. I was just, 
that's the truth. And I would just lay there and just be like laying there and peek my eye and see if the teacher was coming to get me because I didn't want to run. And I allowed that, that limitation to hold me back. I, could, I was running all the time. I ran all the time. My face would just get red. I would have to do a couple puffs of my abuterol or whatever, and then I could continue. But because the teacher said, if you begin to feel faint, you can stop, I straight up just lay on the ground because I didn't want to run. The words, the limitations that she spoke over me stopped me from actually getting better at running. And actually, I, I hated running because I played baseball, and that was always a punishment. I never thought, why, would I, why do I want to do something for fun that I was getting in trouble for and had to do when I got in trouble? Uh, and so running and I have a difficult relationship still to this day. But there's limitations that people put on us. You know, sometimes it's other people's words. It's, it's the, our own thoughts about ourselves because we know our struggle. We know our past. Or sometimes it's the enemy trying to discourage you, saying you don't have what it takes. You really, you really don't love Jesus. You really can't love Jesus the way that you should because of all the hang-ups you have in the past. And, and, and this, is, this is something that, that not only do we face, but the people in Colossae, in the, in, the, in the Colossian church, also wrestled with. They had people telling them, hey, yeah, you want to love Jesus, good, but you also need to do X, Y, and Z in the law. You need to follow all these rules and regulations. You need to get your life right. Others were telling them, oh, you want to follow Jesus? That's great. But you'll never reach the pinnacles that we've reached and the hidden mysteries that we know that you never know. You'll never see the visions that we, that we see. We, we, we have the hidden knowledge. And if you really want to know God, you need to come to us. You need to seek us. We'll tell you the hidden things, but you can't know it yourself. And they began to live this out. And Paul, being in prison, he hears this, and he says, I need to confront that right away before that gets into the hearts of the Colossian church and they begin to live limited lives. I need to write this letter quickly because that's not exactly what God has said at all. That's not the gospel that has been presented to them. And I'm presenting it to you today, this morning, that it would not fit into your hearts, that it would not get into your hearts, that you cannot reach the pinnacles of what Jesus has for you because of limitation. Jesus is ministering to you today the title of our series is All You Need, and today, today's, uh, today's message is entitled, He's All That. Do you remember back in the day when, uh, when somebody was just like, had it all together, and girls would be like, hmm, he's all that, and a bag of chips. Do you remember? <laughs> I never know, I, I don't know how chips added anything to that, and maybe they just had a love affair with potato chips. I don't know, but that's, people used to say that. Today's message is called, He's All That. See, Paul's writing to this group of, of people that he's never met, and he starts out in verse 1 with this word of encouragement. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1, looking at verse 1, and he says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, Timothy, our brother, he says this, to the holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice that he doesn't start the letter out with, to those who are all jacked up and messed up, in Colossae. He doesn't say, to those who continue to fall short in Colossae. No, what does he say? To those who are God's holy people, faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. He's telling them something that they need to know from the very start. He's setting out a precedent that you're not less than, you're called holy, you're called faithful, you're called redeemed. And in fact, how he writes that, he says, to those who are the holy people of God in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, he's doing something. He's presenting this tension 
between where they're at, their, their specific location in Colossae, and their spiritual location being in Christ. He's saying this, yeah, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. You belong to a different kingdom. Yeah, you're in Colossae, but you don't belong in Colossae. You belong in Christ. He's saying to us this morning, yeah, you're in Madeira, but you're also in the kingdom of Jesus. Maybe, yeah, you're still in the struggle or you're still in your current situation, but be reminded that you're in Christ, Jesus. Yeah, you're still struggling, but you're also in Christ. Come on, somebody. He's telling us, yes, you're still in the situation that you're in, but the situation is changing because you're in Jesus. From verse 1, he's speaking life to us because we belong to Jesus. We stay faithful to Jesus. It doesn't matter what situation we're in, we stay faithful to Jesus. And being in Jesus is vital. Being in Jesus is crucial, and we're going to see why as we continue to read. Verse 3, he says that Paul and his companions thank God for this church. In verse 4, he says this, Because we have heard of your faith in Jesus and of the love you have for God's people. For all of God's people. He doesn't say, we thank God for you because you're supernaturally empowered. He doesn't say, we thank God for you because you have incredible vision. We don't say, he doesn't say, we thank God for you because your ability to fulfill the law of the Old Testament. He doesn't say that. He says, we thank God for you because of your faith in Jesus and because of your love for people. You want to know what it means to follow Jesus, to, to fully follow him, have faith in him that he's doing what he said he's going to do, and love people. Love people. That's the evidence that Paul says we're grateful that you belong to Jesus, that you have faith in Jesus, and that you love God's people. God, Paul didn't measure God's love for them by their spiritual accolades of what they've done, how many demons they've cast out, how many people have been healed. He measured the importance of their walk with Jesus by the way they held on to Jesus in the midst of issue. Where did this faith and love come from? Verse 5 tells us, the faith and love, it springs up from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Their faith in Jesus and their love for God's people came from the hope they have in Jesus. From the hope they have in Jesus. The hope that he's restoring them that he's changing them, that he's empowering them, that he's transforming them from the inside out, the hope that they'll be with him one day again in heaven, this hope. I wonder, what are you hoping for today? Where is your hope? Are you hoping for a new life? Are you hoping for a new start? Are you hoping for freedom? Are you hoping for renewed passion, a new, a new love for God? Are you hoping to be free from sin, to be free from the struggle? Where does your hope lie? Because your hope is found in Jesus and is revealed to us through the faith we have in him that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And when we have hope in Jesus, it bubbles up out of us and it, and it manifests itself in love for other people, doesn't it? When you have hope, hope is contagious. When you have hope that change is coming, hope is contagious. And it manifests, it looks like love other people. Those who are hopeful are not negative to people, that are not mean to people. Why? Because there's, they're looking forward to something. You ever look forward to do something, you're just all excited, all giddy the whole time? It's like my wife, if I tell her we're going to Disneyland, man, she's, she'll be so nice. 
You have a hope. So you want to continue to look forward to that hope. Your eyes aren't on this over here, the stuff that's messed up there, or the problems in this situation, because I have hope of something greater that is coming. Hope bubbles out in love for people, and this is what Paul says. Your hope is, is showing itself for your faithfulness to Christ, that he's going to do what he said he's going to do, and how you love people. He says this gospel in verse 6 is bearing fruit everywhere around the world, just as it has been doing among you since the day that you heard it and truly understood God's grace. We're addressing the fact that people felt inadequate. They felt like they didn't measure up, that they didn't have what it takes to, to live for Jesus or walk for Jesus. But already in verse, verse 6 of this book, Paul is saying, the transformation that Jesus is doing in your life has already started from day one, the moment you heard about it and understood his grace. You, you may feel like you're falling short, but, but Paul is saying to them, and he's saying to us, if you've put your faith in Jesus, there is transformation happening. There is change happening. There is something that is moving in your life, whether you feel it or not. God is transforming you. He is renewing you. He is shifting you. He is causing you to bear fruit. What does bear fruit mean? It means show evidence of. Bearing fruit is the fact that you, you, you can see that something is changing. You can see that, the, that life is being transformed. So in other words, Paul is saying that the good news of Jesus is transforming lives all around the world and it started to do it in you from day one, the day that you recognized and understood the God, God's grace. What is grace? Unmerited favor to you. You don't deserve it. You couldn't earn it. And yet he gave his life to you. He poured out his love for you. That's grace. When you understand that grace, that you couldn't earn it, there's nothing that you could do to get more of it or get less of it, then you can begin to live transformed lives because you recognize Jesus is transforming you from the inside out. It means for us that the gospel of Jesus has been transforming us from day one. And when we truly understand it, we can recognize that it doesn't matter what our past says. It doesn't matter what our current situation and circumstances says. It doesn't even matter what your mama says. God is transforming you. God is working in you. God is renewing you. So I want to tell somebody here this morning, don't quit because you feel less than or inadequate. Don't stop because you feel like the transition is taking too long or you can't see what God is doing. Don't stop now because God is still moving you forward in the transition that he's making you more like Jesus every day. You might have slip-ups, you might have failures, you might stumble, but don't stop. Continue to run towards Jesus because he's still transforming you since day one. God's doing the work in you, and he will see it through to the end. So Paul says, jumping down to verse 9, it says, For this reason, since the day I heard of you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge and his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit, showing evidence in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. We feel inadequate. We feel that we don't measure up because we don't see what God's doing. We don't have knowledge of the transformation that he's doing in our life. We, we don't see the things that God sees. And so we look at current situations and circumstances and we say, I just, I can't measure up. I just, it seems like I'm in the same cycle. It seems like I continue to fall short. 
And the prayer should be, this is what we should do on a daily basis. God, give me your wisdom and understanding through your Holy Spirit to see what you're doing in my life. Do you pray that on a regular basis? If you do, you will begin to stop feeling inadequate that you don't measure up because God will reveal to you the things he's doing in your life, the transformation that is happening, and it will encourage you, it will strengthen you because the Holy Spirit wants to build you up, wants to encourage you. The Holy Spirit was given to us so that we could fully walk in in Jesus and continue to pursue Jesus because without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. But because God has given us the Holy Spirit, he wants to encourage you. He wants to tell you you're going to make it. So ask him every day, am I, am I still on track? Are you still working in me? And he's going to encourage you, let you know that he is. And if there's areas that are derailing you, he'll tell you about it and get you back on track because he loves you. What does that evidence look like? Verse 11, Paul says this, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Evidence of following Jesus produces endurance and patience. Those two, are, those two words are a powerful, powerful thing, but sometimes we, we misunderstand them. When, when, when Paul's saying, I, I pray that you would have endurance, endurance is for something that leads you to the end of something, doesn't it? I told you I didn't like to run, but one time I did run a half marathon. I know, shocking. And I did run a half marathon, and, and at mile 11, I needed endurance to reach mile 13. I knew it was coming, so I didn't quit. I knew that there was an end. I knew that there was, uh, to be very honest, I knew that there was donuts at the end of the race. And I wanted to endure to the end so that I could get the prize of my donut, all the work I put in. There's endurance that helps us continue when we know there's something at the end. Patience comes because we, we believe, we wait for something that's good coming to us. We aren't patient for bad things. I'm just sitting here waiting to get mugged. I'm just, where's that guy, you know? You don't wait for bad things. You wait for God to do things in you. You wait for good things. You, so Paul's saying, we pray that you would be strengthened to endure because there is something at the end for you. Pray that you would be patient as God works out his salvation in your life. Be patient. Don't jump, don't jump tracks. Don't run away because you're not experiencing what you want to experience in the moment, because you're not seeing the freedom that you want to uh, see in the moment. Don't run now. Be patient because it's coming. Endure to the end because Jesus is transforming you. He's doing his work in you. So be strengthened with all power and endurance according to his glorious might. Not your might, not your strength, not your ability. God's strength, God's power, God's ability. And it says, verse 12, giving joyful thanks to the Father. Why? Because he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Part of recognizing what the Spirit's doing is recognizing that God has qualified you. He's called you, and now he says, you're good to do it. He's equipped you to do it. And that means that we are able to be a part of the things that he's doing in the kingdom of God. It's not that we've qualified ourselves. So if we don't qualify ourselves, how are we going to 
disqualify ourselves? The only way that we can disqualify ourselves is decide to not follow Jesus. Decide to walk away from Jesus. A decision to turn our back on Jesus. But he says if you would stand firm, if you would stand firm, you'll see to the end. God's doing the work and he's qualified you. Verse 13 he says, For God, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son, who he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Jesus is redeeming us. He has forgiven us. He is making us whole. And why, why is that important? Who, who is Jesus? Why is Jesus able to do all of these things? I'm glad you asked. Because verse 15, Paul goes on, what I consider to be, believe, a, a beautiful description of our Savior. He says this in verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Do you want to know what, G, what, what God looks like? Look to Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Some people get confused in that verse. They think when it says Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, that Jesus was a created being. They think, oh, he was born he, he, before everything else, so he must have been the firstborn of all creation. That's not Paul, what Paul's saying at all. That's how some other religions and other beliefs will take into that and say Jesus was, a, was an archangel or he was a man that, that God had deified, but no, Jesus is from the beginning, and, and the term here, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, is you have to know the context Paul is writing from. The firstborn was the one who always inherited what belonged to the Father. So God, being the creator of all things, through Jesus, is saying Jesus owns all of creation. He's the firstborn of all creation. He owns it all. He inherited it all. It all belongs to him. And he goes on to say in verse 16, for in him all things were created. So how can God, Jesus, be a created being if all things were created in him? See what I'm saying? Jesus was always from the beginning with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. So all things were created in him. All things were created. From things in heaven and on earth, things that were visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Do you know why Jesus, I titled this message, He's All That? Because He's all we need. He is everything, everything that is in Him, because He created it all. All things hold together in Christ. He is the creator of all things. He's the ruler of all things. He rules all the rulers. He, he rules over all of creation. All power is, has to submit to His authority. All authorities have to submit to His authority. Everything that exists holds together in Jesus. And that Jesus that I just presented to you is the one who has called you. The one who says, I qualify you. The one who says, you are equipped to do what I've called you to do. He's the one who says, every good work that you're going to do is going to be through me. Everything that you're going to do and everything that you have done in the kingdom is through the power of Jesus. And he's telling us, why do you question the God of the universe? If I call you good, if I call you healed, if I call you holy, if I call you righteous, what right do you have to disagree with me? Because he's the creator of all things. All things hold together in him. And in verse 18, he continues to say, and he is the head of the body. The head tells the body what to do. That means he's in charge. 
That means where he goes, we follow. What he wants to do, we do. What decisions he makes, we will walk through. What he says is final. So he calls us qualified, he calls us whole, he calls us restored, he calls us redeemed. That's final. His words over your life are final. He's saying to you, if I've called you, I will help you. So don't turn your back on me. Don't walk away from me. Don't get frustrated and blame me. Look to me, because I have the answers that you need. Verse 19 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is everything that we need. The fullness of God is in Jesus. And he made it possible that all things be reconciled. Now, what, is, what does all things mean? It means all things. It means everything. That was not a trick question. All things mean all things. All things can be reconciled through the cross of Jesus. Does that mean your past can be reconciled? Yes. Does that mean relationships can be reconciled? Yes. Does that mean that God is moving in, in your current struggle to make it reconciled to him? Yes. Does that mean that everything that we've experienced in life has the ability to be reconciled through the cross of Jesus Christ? Everything, all things can be reconciled through Jesus. So don't sell yourself short because of the struggles that you've gone through in your past because all things can be reconciled through Jesus. Nothing has dominant power over your life when Jesus steps in. Because all of those things have to bow their knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords because when he shows up, all things have to submit. Because he's the ruler. He's the authority. He's the supreme one. He rules over all things. So if he says, I can redeem it, he can redeem it. The thing that tells you you can't be redeemed has no authority when the authority comes and says, I'll do what I want to do in your life. I don't care how bad it's been. I don't care what you've done. If I step in, I'm going to make it right. He says this in verse 21. Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. He's saying, yeah, you used to mess up. You used to screw up. Yeah, you did horrible things. You used to be enemies with God. You were alienated from God. You turned your back on God. But it says in verse 22, but now. Somebody say, but now. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Holy in his sight. Doesn't matter what you say. Doesn't matter what you're looking at. He says, I see you as holy in my sight, without blemish and free from accusation. How does that happen? Verse 23 says, if, if you continue in your faith, if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Stand firm. Stay strong. Stay committed to what Jesus is doing in your life. Don't walk away from him. Don't turn your back on him. Trust in him. This gospel, this gospel that you've heard, that I've heard, that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and and Paul says, and about I which, which I, Paul, have become a servant. What's the hope that we have? What's the hope that we have is that Jesus died on the cross once for all to reconcile all of creation, all of us, to himself. And so that we could have life forever. 
in Jesus. That we're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer in bondage to the things that used to hold us. That we now have the ability to choose Jesus over the sin that we were trapped in. He says, hold on to that fact. Hold on to that hope. Hold on to that truth. Stand firm. Don't let go of it. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't limit yourself because of the things that you've walked through or the situations or the words of other people. It says that he has made us holy. He's made you holy. He's made us holy in his sight. We don't need to add anything to Jesus or to the gospel because what he did was a finished work on the cross. God reconciled us. We didn't reconcile ourselves. He called us. We respond to him. And now that we're reconciled by his grace, why do we feel like we have to maintain our walk with Jesus on our own? We, we're, we're able to say, Jesus saved me by grace, but sometimes we feel like it's up to us to continue to follow Jesus on our own, like as if he said, okay, you're in, now I'm just gonna go hang out somewhere else and you figure out this walk on your own. It's his grace that saved you and it's his grace that will sustain you. His grace will continue to call your name. You just need to respond to him. Continue to seek him. Continue to say, Jesus, I need you today. I need your grace today. I need your love today. I can't do this on my own, but I believe your grace is sustaining you. If we're looking at our own abilities or looking at our own power to qualify us or to keep us pure, we're missing the point of Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus he did what he did because we couldn't. He died and lived a holy life because we couldn't do it on our own. And then now he gives us his righteousness, his holiness. He somehow supernaturally is changing us from the inside out. And Paul wanted the, the, the Colossian church to know it. And through his words today, we need to know it as well. That Jesus is, is the full gospel of what he's doing. The Colossians, they were being told that they didn't know the deep mysteries of God like those elite did, like those special ones that had the special powers or special anointings or special abilities. They were being told, you can't reach the level that we are at in the mystery. So Paul writes, jumping down to verse 25, he says this, I love it. He says, I've become its servant, speaking of the gospel, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. So here he's going to tell the people, here, my job is to give you the fullness of the gospel. So here it is. This is what he says, verse 26. He says, the mystery, remember, they were being told, you don't know the mysteries. He's saying, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What's the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here is the mystery, that one day Jesus would die to reconcile us to the Father, and that, that he would dwell inside of us, that he would give his spirit to us, that he would walk amongst us again like he used to in the garden. Now he walks amongst us in the hearts of believers and he says, I'm going to make sure that you stay on track because I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to speak hope to you. I'm going to speak life to you. That's the mystery that no one knew about for ages and generations and centuries. They didn't recognize what Jesus was going to do. And he says, I'm going to die on the cross so that I can walk with you. 
that I can have a relationship with you. I'm going to live in you. You're going to be the temple. You're going to be the church. You're going to be where my spirit dwells. I'm going to redeem a people that were away from me and call them my own again. That's the mystery that people were telling. You don't know the, you don't know the hidden things. Paul says, here's the hidden thing. Christ in you. So if you have Christ, you have everything. If you have Christ, you know the hidden mystery. He's working in you. He's working in me. To them, he says, God has chosen to make known the riches of this mystery, which is Christ in us, our hope. God dwells in our hearts. Now, because the Spirit dwells in us, because of the good news, the Spirit empowers us to fulfill the calling. When Jesus came, he gave us everything. He reconciled us to the Father. He gave us his Holy Spirit. When Jesus left, he says, I'm going to send you another like me to dwell with you. He said, it's better that I leave, that the Spirit may come. Why did he say that? Because if Jesus remained and lived forever, he would be one person in one location in the world, and everybody would be in line to see him and try to meet him and never be able to speak to him face to face because he was one person. But when he died, he released the Holy Spirit over us so that we can encounter the Holy Spirit every day, wherever we're at, wherever, wherever we find ourselves in the world. Every person can come to the Lord because the Spirit of God reigns in our hearts. He lives inside of us, and he makes us more than conquerors. That's what he tells us. Do you feel like you're a conqueror today? Do you feel like you're able to do the things that God says you can do? Do you feel like the Spirit of God is empowering you? Because He is. Don't, don't walk around feeling limited, feeling that you don't measure up. The Spirit of God is in you, and He's empowering you to make you more than conquerors. Paul continues, and he concludes Chapter 1 by saying, He, speaking of Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. I present to you today the goodness of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, the good news that you can have life forever, that you don't have to be bound to the sin and the struggle that you're in, that there is hope for a better tomorrow. There's hope and freedom in Jesus, that he paid it all for you. That's the goodness that we present. And Paul says, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Maybe you're saying this morning, I don't have it. I don't have what it takes. I just I feel beat up. I feel beat down. I don't know if I can continue doing what I'm doing. I don't know if I can continue walking with Jesus. I just feel every step I take towards Christ, I get bombarded with more of life that weighs on me. There's hope for us today that you continually contend to work and seek Jesus, and it's his strength in you that will help you endure to the end. His power in you that will help you move forward. It's the power that was in Paul to help him admonish and teach the Colossians, and it's his words today that the power of Christ is presented to us that would encourage and strengthen us. And Jesus is doing in it. I asked the question at the beginning of the service, have you ever felt like you didn't measure up when it came to following Jesus? That you didn't have the right gifting, that you didn't have the right ability, that you didn't know enough, that you didn't come from the right background or the right family? I want to encourage you today 
that it's Jesus that has called you, that it's Jesus who has qualified you. It's Jesus that has equipped you. It's Jesus that will sustain you. It's Jesus that makes you holy. It's Jesus that calls you righteous. It's the spirit of Jesus that empowers you and encourages you and strengthens you. And it's the spirit of Jesus that will never leave you or forsake you. You have Jesus. You have everything. He gives you his gifts, his abilities, his spirit to dwell with you, to dwell among us. I want to encourage you to stand firm in the good news that you've received about Jesus, that he's redeemed you, and that he is changing you from the inside out. Whether you feel it or not, whether you recognize it or not, whether you see it happening in the moment or not, you are being transformed from the moment that you heard of it and you recognize the grace of God. He's working in you. Don't, don't give up. Don't run. Stay firm. Stand strong in your faith, church, because he's redeeming you one step at a time, one moment. From moment to moment, he's changing you. The person you were yesterday is not the person you are today because the goodness of God is working in your heart and life. Continue to surrender to him. Doesn't matter how many times you fall, get back up. Doesn't matter how many times you struggle, continue to pursue Jesus. Tell him every day, I want to, I don't want to, I want to see you move in my life. I don't want to continue to struggle with things I'm struggling with. And this time, next year, you're going to be a different person than you are today because he's transforming you. He's, he's changing things in you. He's moving in you. I want you to stand firm. Hold firm. Tell yourself every day, I'm set free. Remind the devil sometimes, I'm set free. Can you do that? Can you tell the devil, hey, the things you used to have over me, you don't have over me anymore. The power you thought you had on me, you don't have on me anymore. The dirt that you thought you held over me, you don't have anymore. Because Jesus is wiping it all away. Jesus is washing me clean. Jesus is purifying me. Jesus is changing me. Jesus has freed me from the things that held me. You need to tell the devil sometime. And then you need to remind yourself. Wake up. Tell yourself, I'm set free. I'm a new creation in Christ. I've been transformed. Sometimes help, help your wife, help your husband know that. Hey, I know the stuff I, I did yesterday, but babe, I, I'm, I'm seeking to be transformed today. I'm sorry for the things I did, and I believe God is changing me to be the wife you need, to be the husband you need. Come on, somebody. To be the child you need, to be the, the friend that you need, to be the coworker you need. He's changing me. I'm not perfect yet. I haven't arrived yet, but I'm changing. I'm moving forward. I'm going to continue to surrender to Jesus because I have faith, and I'll stand firm that he's changing me from the inside out. you got to hold on to it. you got to stand firm on it. Deny any lie of the enemy that says you're never going to change. 